Welcome to season four, Fostering Change, the number one podcast in adoption and foster care. You know, each week we speak to the most amazing good humans about topics that touch each and every one of us. If you have a guest suggestion or interested in sponsoring our podcast, please visit us at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, sit back, enjoy, learn, get motivated, and let's speak to some fascinating guests. Well, you know, it's hard to believe that this is our fourth season of Fostering Change. And every single week, you know, I am probably one of the luckiest people because I get to talk to some amazing humans who have amazing stories. You know, most of you who read my memoir know that it was very hard for me to write. It was hard for me as someone who had been in banking for a little over 28 years to allow people to know truly where I had come from. So when my next guest um, actually had written their memoir and someone had sent it to me and I sat down and read it, I literally was shocked. And let me tell you what I was shocked about. I wasn't shocked about the story because I've heard stories about children who've grown up in the system or starting off in an orphanage or, you know, just not being able to have the, um, the luck in some ways that so many of us have. But what I absolutely loved about this book is how raw it was when it came to telling their story. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, before I continue on, the book is called On the Road Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the boardroom. Um, Ed, welcome to Fostering Change. Rob, it's always good to talk to you. I oh, love my your friend. Love your enthusiasm. Oh, I will tell you, there are so many things I need to get into, but the one thing that I really want to jump at immediately is that, you know, when I go around the country as a public speaker, one of the things I remind people all the time is to don't blame the system, but try to help me change the system. And there was a line that you said, and I want to actually quote you on this, is you said, later in life, I realized that my childhood seemed to give me a foundation from recognizing the need for balance between self family, work, and community. And what I got out of that is exactly what I said. You weren't blaming the system of how you came in. You weren't blaming your community because maybe they had forgotten you. You weren't blaming the fact that you were one of the statistics that we see every day, but you were actually giving praise that what you had gone through, you know, gave you so much of a foundation. So I want to jump right into that. Um, let's talk about the fact that here you are, a young boy, and 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 I got to tell you a quick story. I, I did. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to tell you this. So when I was about four years old, um, I was sitting in the front yard of my father's house. My mother had been gone for. I couldn't even tell you how long it could have been a year I had not seen late eyes on her had not heard about her nothing and I was in the front yard playing as a little boy and a car pulled up and the woman got out of the car and it was my mother and she looked at me wow. and she said come here and I walked over to her and she said go inside and get your sister and do not say a word. And I went inside and I got my sister and I came outside and my sister and I got into my mother's car and we drove away and I never saw my father again. Wow. Oh, everybody has a story. Wow. So when I read your book and you talk about that, tell me, tell me about that moment as a young boy where, where you're getting into your father's vehicle and you're, you're, you're leaving. 
Well, I didn't know we were going to go to the park or go to the movies. And he decided instead of taking me, you know, back to my mother, he decided to basically kidnap me. Got around 1,800 miles from St. Louis to Los Angeles. So we drove back together in his 1936 uh, Ford Roadster. You know, it took, it took about four, three or four days. And those days, motels didn't really allow children. So it had to sort of sneak me in at night. Uh, but I, you know, being three years old, you don't really recognize that. You're, you remember it because it was, it was such a horrendous experience. But, you know, you don't understand exactly what just happened. In addition, uh, a month or so before, I was taking the other direction. My mother got custody of me and took me from Los Angeles to St. Louis. So I was kind of, you know, a little bit befuddled. But according to my father, I was not well kept. And he was very disturbed that I was not very well dressed. And of course, he was a nut on this anyway. So he decided to take me. And by my mother, figured she was very going to be welcomed at her family. And she wasn't. So when we, when I disappeared, she had the, she was a woman who thought and didn't feel. He was a man who felt and didn't 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 think that much. Didn't know what it was to have a three year old, but she basically felt that given that her family wasn't enthusiastic about she and me, that maybe I I would be better off with my father. So that's what that was her feeling, and he of course couldn't do without me, but he didn't realize what it was to have a three year old. But it, what you said about this this I talked about balance between self work family self family work and community. The under there's an underlying principle in the whole area there is never be a victim if you can help it. I know it's hard, but don't don't blame anybody because the energy it takes to blame people or a situation that you use that energy up, you should be using the energy to decide what's next because that's the most important thing. What's past is past. Whoever has done you in, it's okay. Just go on because I must say you look at my book a couple of times. I sometimes it was my fault. Sometimes it was my situation's fault. I never blamed it. I moved on. And that really saved me. And, I, and yeah. in terms of, you know, it's really Ed, very Ed, important. You, you know, Ed, I mean, there's so many things that I learned about you in your book and so many things <laughs> I learned about you by Googling you as well. And um, you're, you're a person who you give so much. You give so much. I, I, there was a moment that I actually almost picked up the phone to call you because I wanted to know why. Why for someone who you have, you know, raised a... Um, beautiful, amazing children. You have the most amazing wife, Barbara. Um, then, but why would you write? Why did you feel the need to write this book? Oh, I didn't. I didn't want to write it. I I buried my life about eighteen years old when I went to college. But in my seventies, my wife and picking my daughter. You said that you had trouble writing about your life. I couldn't write the first draft of my childhood. My daughter had to write it. My daughter, my wife, and my two sons both said. Dad, you got to put this out on paper. It's just time. And the University of Rochester also, I was chairman of the board. They said, we've got it. We just can't say you came from a post office box in San Francisco. We got to find a little more about you. And then, you know, Horatio Alger basically dug in and got it. So as long as it was getting out there, I figured I'd best write it because I have to separate, you know, facts from what I remember. And once I got into it, I found it to be fascinating because, you, you know, when you start writing down about yourself, you learn about yourself. You also learn why you make certain kinds of decisions. People say, you know, hey, here's why I made the decision. It goes all the way back to your childhood. Yeah. Your childhood builds certain things into you that cause you to make decisions a certain way. And this business about never being a victim, I pass that on to people because it looks like for whatever reason, as a youngster, I just moved on. And I guess because I had to, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a place, there's a place that I marked in your book that I absolutely, you know, um, 
I had those moments within my life, like you, you know, where, you know, there were times when I was homeless and the teacher would always bring me extra food or the job that I needed that if I didn't get that job, I was one step away from losing my apartment. And there's a place in your book, page 44, you says, as fate would have it, attending Roosevelt High School provided me with yet another lucky break. I love how that you, you know, you, and you say that often in your, in your book that you got these lucky breaks, you know, do you truly now as you reading the book feel that it was luck or was it really? I, I had a wonderful question at college the other day. A young man asked me whether he thought, I, whether I thought I was blessed or just lucky. And I said, both. <laughs> oh. I'm blessed. No, I've been very lucky. We, I was born at the right time in the right country. You know, and and I, I you know, I've had a wave behind me, but I did have these lucky breaks because in the first orphanage, when my father disappeared, I became a ward of the state. And in those days, if you were a ward of the state, you could have gone to a, a reform school, you know, for boys. So you could. There were a lot of places that were not very nice. They sent me to this orphanage in in Yonkers, New York, which was four blocks from a high school where eighty percent of the kids went to private colleges. So I had a model. I had a, that. I all of a sudden, quickly, when I, I walked in there as a sophomore, I said, "I see my ticket out of here, out of my situation, which was go to a private college." And they said, "No way, because you have no money, you know, and and you, you have no parents and no and so forth." I said, "I'm going to a private college, and that's what." My, and I, luckily, I got a scholarship. Now those days, you didn't have a lot of scholarships either. Right. People said to me, "How is how is things different today? Kids have so much more one scholarships." They have much more opportunity. There are more people like you helping. You know, those days there were no, in fact, if you went to a counselor, it was a negative. You know, you didn't admit that you had problems. So things have changed positively. Uh, I think the foster care system is much better than it was. But I really wanted to bury it. And, but once I started to tell the story, it really became very interesting to me. And, uh, you know, I, as a youngster, you know, I had, did have some breaks. I was, I was, you know, I was good in math and science. And 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 uh, Yonkers, I mean, Roosevelt High School was a very fine high school. Good teachers, but eighty percent of the kids went to private colleges. So they're going to go. I'm going to go. And they, everybody said, you know, you're crazy because you can't afford it. And you, so on and so forth. You haven't got the clothes. You haven't got anything. And I got the scholarship and you know went there. It was a tough first year because, as I tell people like me, and you will relate to this, you not only you know look different feel different but you are different yes. and it takes a while to convert over to being a little more like everybody else because if you're very different people don't accept you it's unfortunate but mm -hmm. in those especially in those days poor kids didn't go to college i mean yeah. if everybody goes out drinking you gotta have the money to go out drinking if you don't go out drinking you're different you know if you if you haven't got a tweed jacket you know and everybody's got a tweed jacket you're different and so people don't shun you but you don't become part of the crowd it took me a year or so i finally melded in and I actually was very successful. Got my tweed jacket. And, <laughs> and I worked I worked constantly through college. I mean, I, I, I did everything. I waited tables. I was worked in the laundry. And I told fame, my, my famous story was, yeah, those days you had to have a typewriter. And I couldn't afford a typewriter. So I wrote six typewriter companies saying, I'd like to be your representative on campus. If you'll send me a sample. 
So one of the typewriter companies sent me a sample. And I used a typewriter for three years and I sold just two typewriters in three years. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you know what you just said, you know, um, no matter what, we we are different. You know, we are different. And, and that was something and it was the reason why, you know, I didn't want to tell my story is because, you know, like you said, you buried it for all those years. I buried it because I was scared what people would say. But would react to exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and how they would judge me either. I don't want sympathy either. No, 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 you don't want that. You want to be, you want to be, you want to be basically on your own merits. Yes. I don't want any sympathy. Yes. So that, that's why I don't want anybody to say, oh, I had to get, no, don't do that. that, that that's very healthy. But it was, it, you really didn't want to tell everybody that you're so different. Right. Right. I wanted to climb that corporate ladder on my own and not right. because of what my story was. Right. You know, listen, everybody, the book is called On the Road Less Traveled. It is absolutely one of these books. You know, by the way, it is a perfect time of year. It's nice and cold. Curl up in front of that fireplace. And I guarantee you, much just like I did, you'll start it and you can't wait to get up the next morning to finish it because I actually finished it in one day. Listen, we're going to be right back with my friend Ed. We've got a lot more questions. Again, you can get the book on the the road less traveled, an unlikely journey from the orphanage to the boardroom. And we're going and to talk about there's also an audio version as well. Oh, and an audio version as well. We you're, know we your listeners that are reader, there's a great audio version. Love, love, love that. We'll talk about that when we come back. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. Well, you know what? I never, ever cease to amaze myself when it comes to being able to start talking to someone and having that feeling like I've always known them. And the best part about it is when you get to read their memoir. You know, one of the things that, that I want to talk about is that... Um, I am just in awe about the philanthropy that you do. You know, the fact that in 2008, you gave $30 million to the University of Rochester. The fact that you have, you know, and I've seen this, by the way, you and I are both businessmen. And I've seen where people who have come up from their bootstraps and have, you know, made it, they, they forget about everybody else and they think about themselves. And it's all about the business and they stay tunnel vision. But you've done something different than is that it's like me for 28 years, I gave my banking job to run my, my charity. You, you have literally said, you know what, I need to do more than just one thing. And so I really want to talk about what all of a sudden first was the aha moment for you to write a check for $30 million. But what is the aha moment that you keep doing things like that? Now, go back to my, my basic principles. And one of the things I'm basically selling to people who, read my book and think about me. So life has four parts. Self takes you a long time. 18 to 25, you develop self, carry it the rest of your life. Family, the most important thing you have. Work, you have to focus on it or you're not going to contribute. The final one is community, which is charity. Community, giving back. It's the reason we're on the planet. And therefore, that has to be part of your life. If you want a full life, 
You have to cover those four areas. Now, once you cover those four areas, by the way, I didn't give $30 million to the University of Rochester. My family did. I called everybody together. I said, hey, guys, you know, two sons and a daughter and my wife. And I said, uh, you know, we need to know how much money we have. We don't have a, a lot of money. I want to give a substantial portion of our net worth to the University of Rochester. And I said, uh, you know, I need your, your compliance because your money, not my money. And he said, go for it, Dad. So that was a real breakthrough. And but I, that was the reason. And, and, you know, why shouldn't you give back? I mean, I started with nothing. The society, the system has allowed me to do very well. I have to give it back to the system. I'd rather give it back to the system than the government, for sure. So yeah. that's one of the other excuses that I use. And I really believe, as one of my other taglines or cliches, people are nasty me to call them cliches, but I think that education is the solution to everything or almost everything. And therefore, and, and I guess scholarships was changed my life. And I've watched it change so many lives so far. Kids, uh, I have scholarships at about eight or nine institutions now. And kids write me letters. My life has changed. I'm a different person. Wasn't for you. You know, that kind of stuff. That's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heart pounder. Well, you know, when you take care of a kid and a kid does better than he ever thought he would or she would, it's a big deal. So that, that, that's it. And I'm, I'm really a little bit selfish because I get all this accolade, all these presents, these presents that people give me saying how well I've, I've done for them. And it's just money that I've given away. Yeah. And obviously, I spend some time with them as well. But uh, so that's the real reason is that I really believe that if you the system gives you so much, you must give back to them. And also, it's part of life. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I agree. I, I agree I with people, you. you. Exactly what you said. I know people who never got that satisfaction. They made a lot of money. They were very successful businessmen. They never took that next step yeah. of using that money to help others and getting that extra satisfaction in life. You know, when you close your eyes and you say, you know, I did a good job in business. I did a good job, reasonable job in family. Nobody does a great job in family. <laughs> That's <tough>. true. <laughs> and That's and true. I did a good job in, the, you know, in giving back. And so, you know, so it, it is those four parts. And there may be more parts for other people, but those are the four parts. You and I both have had self problems and we've somewhat solved them to, you know, to be able to absorb ourselves in society. We have the family. We're doing that. I read your book. You've started reading your book. You know, it's a, a family forever. And you know, work. You have to be successful in work because if you don't, you got to produce, you got to produce something in order to get a return and then you give it back. And that, you know, that's what I call when you close your eyes, say, Hey, I've done a decent job in the four areas of life. So, yeah. You know, I remind people all the time that your community is not your zip code. Our community is our human race. And, you know, Reese and I, we are, we are very big on education and that's why we, you know, we give us a couple of scholarships every year away through our organization. And I will tell you the look on these kids faces when they get announced that they've won the scholarship is, I mean, first of all, it's priceless. Um, you know, I met a young girl just recently. She's, she's actually, she was in seven high schools, um, but still pushed her way to go to college. And she was still a sophomore in her third year trying to get through but she wasn't giving up and that little bit of push that we gave her by giving her the scholarship that we gave her she actually reached out to me and she said you know Rob she says um I'm gonna make it I'm gonna make it and that is like you said when you close your eyes that's your aha moment that's your oh, aha moment. you know oh I'm gonna gosh. make it or if it wasn't for you Rob I wouldn't be here you know yeah. that whole thing you know you know and, and that they they didn't give up that they That's didn't it. No, give up no, no. you know 
Ed, what are some of the things, you know, you know, the fact is, is that you, you, you talk about, you know, filling your cup in more than just one ways, not just about business, but being completely full circle. You know, I'd love to hear about some of the other things that you, that you do that could, you know, push other people in such a direction of giving, which is something that we try to do here at Fostering Change. What are some of the other things that you're, you know, well, you're dabbling in? schools from the very beginning. I, I started as the, you know, the, the class, the class, you know, whatever it was, class fellow for my first grade class at my first son's school. I ended up as chairman of the board of trustees and, you know, really changed the help change the school, you know, had the largest giving program there and so forth. My wife was actually head of development for a while. My favorite story was when I stepped down from the chairman of the board of trustees and I was giving the baton to the next guy. And I said, I am so committed to this school as I go home and sleep with the head of development every night. <laughs> There were some phone calls the next morning to the headmaster asking what the hell's going on. But anyway, and at Harvard, at Harvard, I became the president of the Alumni Association. And there we did some very interesting things. We produced courses for people that already graduated, like something called the Entrepreneur's Toolkit, where people came back and learned about entrepreneurism. And then Rochester, I already got involved, where I basically really sponsored raising money for scholarships and for programs professorships and so on. We changed the school there. The, the president did a fabulous job, but we raised more money for the school in the, in the eight years I was the chairman than the entire previous 150 years. But that's just one little area. What you really want to do is in your community, like we did here up in Nantucket, we founded a golf course and it became successful. We had 300 members. Everybody's going along fine. But within a couple of years, we realized we had another mission, which was to be part of the community. And we started something called the Children's Charity. And today it's, it's, it's sent over 35 kids to college. And last, we started a, a vocational scholarship program. And now we sent 10 kids to vocational schools last year. And just like you said, this, we had two young ladies, both of them going to be nurses. I mean, it, was, it, was, it would tear your heart out. Said, Grandma was a nurse. Mom was a nurse. I'm going to be a nurse. And then there was another young man that said, basically, he said, I've always wanted to basically fix cars. And I'm going to an automotive technology school. And another, you know, and I'm involved in the same thing here up in Nantucket. And this, we've converted the golf course into an institution. It's the largest charity on the island. Supplies wow. money to 50 charities every year, plus the scholarship program. And we're going to expand the scholarship program because people become totally unbelievably generous. Our first gala was like five, six hundred thousand dollars. This year we raised four point seven million dollars from a gala with about, you know, a hundred members. There were three hundred people, but they invite guests, and the guests jump in. Now, in addition, down in Florida, where I'm located, again, continuing this concept, my mini crusade on vocational scholarships, I joined a bunch of people that have built an Upper Keys Community College. Love that. Even though the Nantucket kids are terrific, to listen to this woman at our community college talk about her always wanting to be, you know, a public safety officer. She's, two, she's a single mother with two children. I mean, you, you'd have brought tears to your eyes. But here we're training 60 nurses, a bunch of first responders, a bunch of marine engineers down in this Keys Community College. Because I believe that, you know, not everybody should go to a four-year college. I agree. If you have a passion for something else, exercise it. I agree. I like to change the name from vocational to technical or something else. But I mean, when I was a young man, you had a commercial and academic. People went to commercial, some went to academic. And I, but I'm continuing that. And Keys College, I'm going to become more involved with that because that's really exciting because you're taking a community which really needs education and also has a great need for jobs. 
I yes. mean, the marine engineering down there is a big deal. They, you know, the, the hospital needs nurses and so on and so forth. We're really supplying people. But you know, I, I get a kick out of one of the young men at our place that wanted to be a chef. And you know, a chef, you go to Johnson Wells, it's $40,000 a year for two years. And this kid immediately went into the kitchen at the country club. And he's leaving, obviously, now to go on to Johnson Wells. But, you know, he really wants to cook. God bless yeah. him. And we need people like that. So, yeah. so I, I just think everybody should, whatever they get mixed up in, ask that next question. What else can I do for the community? And by the way, you start, you know, tw- 22 years ago with nothing. You have a little dinner for people. And you have, I don't know, 10 or 15 people you get together. And all of a sudden you have something after 25 years. It's yes. really important to the whole community. And also we're going to take this model and we have an article written for a golf magazine. Any golf course that's in a community. Now, if you're in New York City, it's a little different. But if you're in a community where you're a part, major part of the community, you should think about doing what we just did. I, I agree with you. I agree. That we provide money. But the, 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 the 500 families we've brought to the island over the 25-year period, most of the organizations today are headed up or are involved. These people are involved as well. So you're getting not only human, you know, funds, but you're getting human capital as well. Yeah, so, I agree. There, there and- communities around the country that have that. But anyway, I, that, that's been my thing. Um, and I'm, my wife's been the same way. She's always been involved in development. She was one of the key people in developing a little museum here, which now is a, a gem on the, on the island. It's just that other question. You, you have to work. There's no two ways about it. You got to focus on it, be successful. But I always agree. try to figure out something else that you can do because there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction in doing some of these other things as well. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you something. I say it all the time. I, I hope my legacy is about what I give and not what I've taken. Um, and and I truly believe that each and every one of us, um, we have an opportunity to give. And so that's what I would love to hear. Listen, everybody, this conversation has been absolutely amazing. You know, um, you reach out to me all the time. You ask me, what book are you reading right now, Rob? What book do you suggest? Listen, um, this is it. This is it. On the Road, Less Traveled. Season four is kicked off. And it's going to be real hard, my friends, for someone to say to me that this isn't the book that I'm going to remember as I end this season. Listen, Ed, you know, as we end this, I have to repeat a quote that you said. Um, And because I actually was so just in awe of this quote that I've actually had it cut out of my my sample letter part. And it's actually stuck to my desk because I never want to forget it. And the quote is, don't be a victim of circumstances. Don't let your environment define your future. Even the pandemic stay forward motion. I'm going to tell you, I took that trash bag and for so long, I tried to make sure that it did not define who I was. And when I read that quote, that's all I kept thinking about. So I want to say to you, my friend, that quote was absolutely amazing. And look at this book out too. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank well, listen, so everyone. Um, I do believe that, though. It, it, it's a great quote. Stop you. 
It's a great, great quote. Listen, I know that I have lots of professors that listen to our podcast and watch it. I know I have a lot of people that reach out to me and say, I could use a public speaker. I could use someone that could motivate. I'm telling you, this is the person to reach out to. Um, Ed, we're going to plaster all your information so people can reach out to your publicists. Um, we're going to make sure that we have a link to your book um, because, again, this book, you know, on the road less traveled, an unlikely journey from the orphanage to the boardroom. Listen, everyone, this is a prime example of what I say each week, being a good human, really investing in your community, trying to see how you can make the foundation of a child stronger today than it was yesterday. And we know that if we make that foundation strong, the only person that is actually benefiting from it is you, because it's your future your future. So why would you not want that foundation strong? Until next time, this is Fostering Change. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.